there's always a FinReg Angle, the podcast providing you with the latest news and commentary on financial regulation. Brought to you by Global Custodian. Hello and welcome to the second episode of season four of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, Managing Editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually, as always, by a pair of FinReg experts, Sean Tuffy and Virginia O'Shea. Welcome both. Hey there. Hey there. Hey, we're we're back very quickly after episode one, which was recorded last week, to to essentially cover everything not called crypto or, or FTX, um, just <laughs> as I think we promised. Um, and Virginia, I know you're tempted, but if we can try to <laughs> try to resist, um, I'll try my best. <laughs> but, but I actually thought with it's quite interesting to see how quickly things can be forgotten when something else big pops up. And I think this this week and the most recent thing for us is the Ion cyber attack. Um, Virginia, what did you make of that? What's what that kind of thrown up from a regulatory perspective? I think it was waiting to happen, wasn't it? And there's been a there's been a lot of discussion. I mean, I spend a lot of time talking, talking to cybersecurity people these days, as you do. Um, and I was, you know, obviously doing the last couple of cybosses, I did the cybersecurity sessions. And, and guys have been talking about the fact that managed services providers and technology providers are increasingly being targeted with this stuff. So it was only a matter of time before something happened. And I think I predicted it um, at the end of last year, in fact. Um, <laughs> shout out to me actually getting something right on some of my <laughs> predictions already. But uh, I, I'd say uh, from, a, from a reg standpoint, obviously, we've got Dora coming in here. I sat and listened to four hours yesterday of, of ESMA and the other EU level regulators talking about DORA. Um, so they're well aware of the ION stuff um, and they have a long list of different things they're asking the industry for feedback on um, about how they should assess IT providers. So certainly it's top of mind for them. But we also got the CFTC. They woke up this week um, for once and said, right, we've got uh, we've got to talk about operational resilience. So uh, we'll get uh, hopefully we'll get some more progress in the US on that front, because I think they've been a bit slow to, to, to put it mildly um, addressing some of this stuff. So I don't know, there probably won't be a US version of Dora, but there may be more oversight um, of systemic risk related to, to hacks and cybersecurity. I expect that will probably be another priority for the CFTC. SEC has already been talking about it for the last year. Yeah. Sean, did you uh, were you interested in the ION uh, debacle or were you too busy uh, monitoring the, the balloon over the US? Well, I mean, obviously the balloon took precedent, but I, I you know, yeah, no, I think the ION thing, it's interesting because it does, as, as uh, Virginia said, it, it sort of validates Dora a lot. And, you know, it's another example of Europe thinking a little ahead in terms of frameworks um, than their counterparts on the other side of the Atlantic. So it's good to see the CFTC sort of finally waking up, it would be nice if the CFTC would not have to be so reactive to events um, to, to start taking up causes, but it, I think it's good. And I think it will be, I agree that we're not going to see a U.S. DORA um, mercifully, though the U.S. is going to have to deal with DORA anyway, which is part of the issue. Um, but I, I, but I think it's going to be, I totally think it'll be a focus for sure. Yeah, there's so many questions about Dora in, t- in practice. I mean, so so that four-hour session was all about, you know, how how will it work in terms of reporting if you're outsourcing to another provider, you don't have transparency into what they're using, and like how will cloud providers 
who are quite reticent to tell things to, to some, some um, industry participants uh, when they're smaller clients. They may not be as responsive. How are they going to deal with that? And, and, the, and the, basically the ESMA guys were like in the, the other EI ops and all the other um, e, e, EBA as well was on there um, and the ECB, I think, were also involved. But they, they were all saying, basically, we've got it covered, guys. We'll, we'll make them <laughs> respond <Yeah>. to us. <laughs> It tends to be the European, uh, just the brute force of Europe will, the Brussels effect will make people respond. It doesn't always work out in practice, but I mean, I think that, it, I think like Dora, you know, as long as we're on the air here, we'll be talking about Dora for the next two to three years. And I think it will gain momentum and gain more um, urgency as we get closer to the actual, you know, the implementation deadline. But it is going to be a hybrid of MIFID and GDPR in terms of its sort of wide reaching scope across global markets yeah we'll, we'll still be around in four years or so sure <laughs> we'll see a kind of uh friends and simpsons style roadmap for us you know 20 <laughs> or so <laughs> but we, we've got quite a long agenda of things to, to get to today but if i can go off piece one more time uh and be a bit reactive to something i've seen today uh virginia i sure saw you mentioned the the move to t plus one in india and you're right there's been a lot of a lot of press including on global custodian about the move not so much reaction about how it's going but you seem to be suggesting that foreign investment flows have been pretty impacted by it um, and perhaps not reported i won't ask you to reveal your sources but tell us a bit more about that if you can <laughs> i have to be cagey about these things but yeah certainly i've seen a lot of um i mean obviously it's progress right of some sort um mm shortening taking taking the set you know one taking the settlement cycle down by one day um everyone's been obsessed with it now over the last couple of years ever since GameStop so um seeing a major market or a you know major Asian market certainly um, move that direction is interesting but it's the sort of the bias in in some of the reporting out of the country um has been the sort of positivity that I haven't seen necessarily from people that are actively you know maybe foreign entities working in India um, that are struggling with with some of the uh, the ramifications of the move because it has shortened things. It not it hasn't necessarily been that helpful for um, foreign investment into the country, which has dropped significantly. I'm sure you could probably find statistics out there to prove that. Um, but I think it, from from what I'm hearing, it's it's dropped by at least a third, uh, if not more. Um, in, in terms of investment in the most liquid assets. And the most liquid assets are the ones that moved you know, most recently. So yeah. we haven't really seen the negative impact thus far last year when, there was, when they started the move because it was all the illiquid assets that nobody really, aside from domestic people, were using that had moved to C plus one. So it was only this year that you've necessarily seen the direct impact. So yes, it was going okay last year because it was just domestic-focused move. But this year it's been the, you know, the, the, the names that foreign investors are heavily into. So um, that is, that's when you start seeing the, and I hate to use bloody phrases like this, but the rubber hitting the road in terms of the impact of all this stuff. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think it's, it's the easiest thing to, to manage. And we, we've seen that in other countries, right? You've, you've seen why some, some, some markets have moved back from T plus zero because it was so difficult for foreign investment and negatively impacting that. So yeah, it's not unexpected, I think. Yeah, and a little bit of a, I mean, the other markets that are making that move know know the risks, know some of the obstacles that, that it faces, and they're obviously not like the Indian market, but 
interesting to actually see it happening um and then you know if you're the uk or the eu considering it um when it's not confirmed yet does that make you think a little think twice or you know reconsider uh, a little bit but you know you think we're talking about dora and this time in four years we're definitely still going to be talking about t plus one right (laughs) i expect so so. yeah i mean i don't think the e i maintain the eu isn't really thinking about it like they're talking out loud because they have to but it's not it's not top of priority honestly and if it wasn't like in the uk and you were only talking about it because the us had a moment of madness and decided to jump ahead and do it otherwise no one would be talking about it yeah very true maybe more pressing for the eu is is you know sorting out fail rates still and i think we're approaching actually we've probably just had haven't we the the one year anniversary of the settlement discipline regime um so i haven't done a reaction piece to it yet but i think we've said all we can over the last year about how that's gone but um yeah would you like to try and sum up the, the first 12 months of this regulation and its impact on the market Mediocre. <laughs> Mediocre. That's just high praise. <laughs> well, I, th- I think things that, I mean, we are seeing a little bit more um, uptake. I'm trying to actually get some statistics into my latest report on this um, from, from various CSDs. But there has been some uptake now of partial settlement, albeit mm. very, very slow. <laughs> so it's, some little things have changed, but not much else, and unfortunately. So fail rates haven't been impacted enough. Mm. And they're still really high. Yeah, and I, I think we must be expecting some kind of report from ESMA in, in the coming days or weeks, right, with, with rates? <sighs> Provided they can get the data. I think they're struggling a bit with that at the moment. Uh, I can feel their pain because I've been trying to do the same thing. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, like I said, we've got a lot to get to today. And uh, let's start with one of Sean's favourite topics, which is the money market fund reform. Um, Sean, it's a, a, another frequent guest of ours on, on the uh, FinRoad podcast. But uh, what's the latest with on that front? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing I wanted to, you know, I'm glad to talk about is in our crypto free episode is it, you know, obviously Gary Gensler and the SEC have been doing a ton of stuff that sort of got wiped off the, uh, front page when the FTX thing happened. So it's sort of the money market fund reform is going ahead, mostly aligned to the European one. You have the fund name rules, the ESG rules, uh, changes to the fund liquidity rules, security lending reporting. So it's a bunch of stuff that's all in flight um, and due to hit at the end of the year. So that's just all sort of, which all of which will have a much bigger material impact on asset management than any, you know, crypto rules would. So, you know, where we stand with money market fund specifically is waiting for the final uh, final proposal from the SEC, though it looks like the they're backing away from the mandatory swing pricing for money market funds, which is sort of good news, except for the fact they've inserted mandatory swing pricing into their liquidity rules for all other mutual funds. So it's sort of like one step forward, two steps back for the industry in that regard. Yeah. And, and, also in the US, we've seen some equity market structure um, stuff come out, right? And this is a busy space. It's, it's covered a little bit more by our uh, sister publication, The Trade. But um, but yeah, that, that seems like a, is it a bit of a mess? Yeah, I mean, they're, it's, I like to joke, it's basically mythic, but American that they're trying to put through. Um, and so there's a bunch of, so the equity market structure, obviously I'm far from the expert on it is a little creaky in the US. And so Gary Gensler, for example, is concerned, um, as is everyone, for ETFs, for example, about over 
almost 45% of ETFs are now trading off exchange. And we're used to those sort of figures in Europe, but we have a litany of excuses like no consolidated tape and no consolidated exchanges. But in the US, it's just more and more activity is moving off exchange. So there is a legitimate concern about putting through these changes. It's just sort of, as we all have the battle scars of Mythic going through, it's a, it's a lot of work and what really could cause a potential large amount of uh, upheaval. I think there's been a lot of consternation from the industry about some of the, some of the proposals that are targeting, you know, trying to improve things for retail investors, right? And and sort of with the sights of trying to take down um, Kenny G, uh, as he's known, um, the likes of Citadel and stuff, and, and that's where there's sort of there's a feeling that in its in the SEC's bid or Gary Gens, there's there's this sort of war of Kenny G versus Gary G. Um, from <laughs> from from the from the U.S. focus, which makes me laugh, but I must say, like I think it's being blown out of proportion. But and and the SEC's intents are good, but yes, there are there could be some damage caused by some of the um, some of the proposals because you shouldn't apply the same blanket rule, unfortunately, to all assets. And I think that's where we're seeing some of the best execution stuff. It's good for fixed income. We don't have it, but. Um, some of the rules are, are a little, um, they're going to be very costly for, for some of the brokers. They are also going to, to improve transparency for the most liquid stocks, but maybe cause problems for the less liquid stocks in the market as well in terms of pushing up costs. Um, and when you add a lot of, you know, a lot more requirements in, like with best execution, as we've seen in, in Europe, that makes it, you know, more costly for the retail uh, retail investor in the end end of it all as well. So I don't know that, that they, there may be savings, but and there may be more transparency, but what do we lose by introducing some of it? That's something that, you know, the cost benefit needs to be a bit tweaked a little, I think. They, they've, they've got very ambitious um, goals, I think, of, of Reducing it by two billion, I think the SEC's estimates were, which it seems high to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, give me good. That's a great point. The, but the frame of reference in the U.S. is definitely always focused on sort of retail day traders, for lack of a better word, and it's a very like retail trading versus institutional, which is not the focus you have on market structure elements in the, in Europe, where they it's sort of acknowledging it. It's more of an institutional fix that you need it's not as big of a deal to try to make sure that like i can trade the same as a hedge fund in terms of market execution so i think that does definitely skew things quite a bit and could lead to some really unwelcome outcomes yeah and so that while we're on the the sec um virginia i know you 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 picked up on the fact that there's a Fair bit been done on the government and proxy, so governance and proxy side recently. Um, would you like to enlighten us with uh, some of those developments? Yeah, I mean, from the SEC's side of things, with regards to its own governance, they made some amendments recently about uh, their own ethics and compliance program, which was interesting to see. Um, in, in terms of you know employees, their spouses, and their kids. Um, you know, from investing in, in uh, funds and, and preventing insider trading, which is, you know, that's a positive. Obviously, they're sticking by the G and ESG themselves, which the market needs to see. I don't know whether the politicians are going to be pulled into that yet. But, you know, there we go. We have hope. Um, and in terms of uh, looking at some of the other governance proposals, there's there's an interesting um, proposal with the Index Act out there. Um, it's a bill. It's not an SEC proposal by any stretch of the imagination. But that's sort of being pitched against the uh, the ESG focus of the SEC 
uh, and that's talking about trying to make it um, so that uh, investors have more say over their you know shareholder firms and how um, how asset managers in the uh, in the index space and the index funds and ETF space um, how they vote when it comes to proxy voting. So um, it, it's an interesting development because I would say that was an, you know a, a governance thing, but. Um, it, it sort of it should play into the ESG fold, but it hasn't done thus far. But I, I would like to see much more focus on governance overall, um, because I think in Europe we've got we've had huge amounts, and uh, the the SEC's done some things, but it, ha- it hasn't done everything that it needs to do in that space. I think with regards to making things more transparent and easier for for shareholders, they're working on it. They're trying to you know get rid of paperwork, for example, and try and make everything more electronic. That happened last year with with getting rid of um, some of the paper-based processes. So we're getting there, but it, it just seems infernally slow to me. Don't know if Sean agrees on that front, but... Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think it's interesting that We've talked about it before, but the culture war over ESG in the U.S., which is fairly insane, if we're being honest, um, is driving a lot of interesting proposals that probably could have good outcomes if you ignore the root of them. Like, for example, like people, regulators should take a harder look at index providers, right? Like they are tremendously powerful in the current setup and how asset management and investment works. So like these are things that should be considered, but... The driving forces behind them are a little wacky, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I, we, we make a few jokes about proxy voting and corporate actions in the global custodian office, but has it ever been this exciting? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It has an industry that hasn't changed in, in God knows how long. I mean, the, the yeah. corporate action space is just like, I mean, the. I mean, there are interesting things. It's an interesting space when you look at what it actually is of like corporates doing things like merging and acquisitions and all of these different, you know, different things that they do and buybacks and dividends and all of these interesting things. But yeah, when you when you put it down to the processing asset servicing bit of it, it's dry as old toast. I, I agree, right? <laughs> yeah. I always think that one of the things is for the longest time, broadly speaking, asset managers were happy with the sort of like arcane proxy voting process because they didn't really want to get into a big discussion about what they were doing and how they were voting. But now the push for more and less ESG, depending on who's yelling at them, has really sort of sharpened their focus on how they can sort of better incorporate that governance factor into what they're doing. So you see a lot more agitating around proxy voting than you would have a few years ago. That's true. There's been, I mean, activism has increased massively. Um, Although it was already high in certain areas, but it's it's becoming much more of a thing for um, institutional investors to talk about, right, um, with regards to influencing votes and things like that, for, for whichever direction you want to influence them. But uh, certainly accountability is an important thing in this space. And yeah, yeah and, and as you mentioned, with the index providers, there's like three of them. Right. <laughs> and that's it. They influence everything. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's interesting, like you're seeing, I don't know, Vanguard and... BlackRock had made sort of public announcements that for institutional investors to start, they're starting to allow basically pass through proxy voting through their funds, which I think is, or I think it's separate manage the accounts to start, but they're starting to push through uh, sort of managing a proxy voting for their investors, which I think the direction of travel with technology and general shareholder activism means eventually it could end up down to sort of retail investors having sort of proportional votes on the outcome, which 
managing that process will be a living nightmare for whoever gets stuck in the middle of it. But I think that's probably where we end up eventually. Actually, BlackRock have introduced that in the UK, didn't they? They, I, yeah. they either introduced it last year or the year before in terms of, um, it's not exactly voting, but it's polling of, of, of polling, clients, yeah. right? So I think yeah. that's a first step. They've, they've done it in the, both Vanguard and uh, BlackRock have done it in the UK and Europe. And I think Vanguard introduced it to some U, limited US funds, but I think that's starting, I, I think a step we're starting to see, because honestly, if you're getting yelled at by both sides, if you can find a way just to let people vote and then you just purely do an agency basis, then you can't really get in the neck about what decisions are made. Exactly. Yeah. See, I told you it was exciting. I'm actually going to have to cut you off because we're running over time. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, look, I think we, we got through a lot today. Amazing what can happen in a week, actually, isn't it? both in terms of regulatory news and other news, uh, other news. So yeah, look, we'll be back again soon. Um, I mean, maybe there's a case that uh, ChatGBT can uh, can do this for us. We can just ask <laughs> you the last regulatory work. But until we, we can prove that, we'll look forward to having you back on next time. So uh, Virginia, what, what are you uh, else are you working on at the moment? Um, talking about corporate actions, I've just got a report out on that that's just gone up on the site. So um, that's a brand new one looking at uh, what's happened in the corporate action space. Um, thrilling times it has been. Um, and I'm doing something on CSDR. But yes, you can find all of my stuff on www.fintechfirebrand.com. Wonderful, exciting stuff. And Sean, where can we find your work? Mm-hmm. You can always, as always, follow my, uh, my musings on FinRag and Chinese weather balloons on Twitter. <laughs> My handle is at SMTuffy. A very unstated account. Well, thanks again to you both, and thank you to the audience for listening. We'll see you again next time. You were listening to There's Always a Finreg Angle podcast from Global Custodian. Stream on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or catch up wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>